Hello fellow adventurers and welcome to the Nerd Lab, where we transform our gaming passion into incredible game designs and learn how to nerd like a boss. My name is Marvin and I'm an ambitious game designer on my quest to develop my own games. For this podcast, my vision is to take you with me on this exciting journey. Together, we will explore the secrets of different game mechanics and reach the next level as a game designer. This week, I have the incredible honor of hosting one of the best game designers in the world. He has designed countless games and it doesn't seem like he is going to stop. And yeah, the majority of them are incredible successful. For example, he designed King Domino, Five Tribes, uh, Seven Wonders Duel, Shadows Over Camelot, Abyss and many, many more. His games have also have been nominated for a wide variety of awards. Um, among others, he has already won the highly desired prize Spiel des Jahres, or Game of the Year, uh, with King Domino in 2017. And also this year, just recently, uh, Tregomino, the, the kids' adaption of the game, was also nominated for the Children's Game of the Year. So I'm 100% convinced that we all will be able to learn quite a bit from his experience in the industry. So please welcome with me Bruno Catala. Welcome to the show, Bruno. It's an honor to have you. It's a pleasure for me to be there. And I will try to answer the best as possible to your questions. That's awesome. So I'm very, very excited to talk to you. Um, but before we start, could you please briefly introduce yourself and uh, yeah, tell the listeners how you personally got into making your own games. So I'm 58, or I will be 58 at the end of the year. Uh, I discovered that there was a life after Monopoly when I was 20. <laughs> and uh, I promised myself at this time that one day I will design my own games, but I had no idea how to do that. Uh, so for years, I only was uh, a gamer, feeding myself with all the kind of games I could find on the market, uh, buying them, teaching them to my friends, and learning a lot, in fact, playing just games. And I began to work on my first prototypes in 99. And the incredible chance I had was that uh, this game finally find a publisher and was on the market end of 2002. And since that time, I never stopped creating games because it's just not my job, it's my life. It's something which is so important to me. And uh, today, I'm lucky enough to only can focus on creating games. So, yes, I'm really, really, really lucky. Yeah. And many, many people of uh, listeners of this podcast and myself included would love to get there where you already are. So um, tell us a little bit about your secret sauce and your, um, your magic that you put into, into those games today. So um, let's, I would propose that we are just going through, let's say, the standard design process, um, how, how games uh, are created. Yeah. Um, and the very first step really is typically you need some kind of idea. Yeah. Sure. So um, where do you typically get your inspiration for, for, for new games? Do you get them from playing other games, from reading books, uh, watching movies? Or what is typically the initial trigger that, uh, that for, uh, forces you to start a game about it? Uh, it's very difficult to say. Uh, for sure, there are a lot in, in influences. The games you are playing, the movies you, you watch, the books you read, all of this can, can give you some ideas. But the sparking idea is something really mysterious. It can come from me or from one of my co-designers. But if it comes from me, uh, it comes when I'm doing something which is not connected with games. It can come suddenly when I'm, for example, taking a shower or riding my bike in the mountains around me or driving or, or during a conversation. It's just a word which will trigger something and, and this is the sparkling idea. So it's something quite magical. I never sit on my desk and, and trying to, to have an idea. It doesn't work for, uh, this way for me. Yeah, and when this this spark, this initial idea, is this typically, let's say, a theme that you want to explore, or is it more like, oh, this mechanic would be nice, for example? In fact, 
the sparking ID can have three different forms. You have, you say the story, the team, for sure, uh, which was the case, the case, for example, for uh, Shadows of Camelot. We wanted to create a game connected with uh, the history of uh, Knights of the Round Table. It can come from uh, a mechanism, but it also can come from the components. For example, King Domino has been created just because I wanted to use dominoes with a different way. But in fact, the team, the components, and the mechanism and are only tools for a game designer. It's not that important. It's tools to create a game experience. And the only things which matters to me is the game experience I want to create between the player around the table. So immediately after I have a sparkling idea, never mind if it comes from the team, from the mechanism or from the components, I immediately try to connect these three things together to try to imagine the game experience I want to create. Okay, that's very interesting. And let's say you have this this game experience in mind. Um, then for me personally, and I know that's true for many game designers, countless ideas come to my mind um, how, to, how to create this game experience that I want to achieve. For example, um, there could be countless game mechanics go into into that game um, and I, more often or most of the time I have more ideas um, of mechanics that I could put into the game than I can actually yeah try so um, how do you overcome this I would say explosion of ideas that can be quite overwhelming um, and really narrow down what you want to put into the game what you want to really create an initial prototype of and want to test how do you how do you get that is this just some kind of um let's say experience that you have from the last uh, 15 to 20 years or um do you go through a specific kind of list of mechanics that you have that you would like to try or through the board game geek uh, mechanics list or so so how do you narrow down the the mechanics that you want to try for this game experience no i never i never look to lists or anything of like that in fact my first process uh, is something maybe which could look strange for some some of the listener but which is really connected to my former work in fact in fact That means that my first process is to do nothing. That means just thinking. Uh, in fact, I sit and I just imagine game situations. I, I play against a shadow player virtually into my head. And I try many things this way, just projecting game situations. And as long as I find boring situation or bugs or, or blocking situations etc i don't do anything the i don't build a prototype i begin to build a prototype only when things are clear enough into my head and i see uh, the games just up to the end and um do you keep all of that information during that process in your head because you said you you imagine different situations or so or do you use any kind of of tools or uh, do you document it um, in some kind of design document or so or is it just in your it's, head it's it's mainly into my head just because uh i i don't uh, sometimes i'm writing things but it's not very often um i believe that You uh, sure that I have a lot and a lot of different ideas during this step? Sure. But I really believe that the strongest idea will stay. And sometimes I'm forgetting some, some ideas I had during the process, but it's just in my mind, just it, it's, it's like a Darwinian uh, selection. That means that the, the ideas which are weak enough just get back. And the strongest one stays. And at the end, I have something which seems to be solid enough to begin the, the prototype process. That's incredible. You must have a, a, an incredible brain capacity. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's just, it's just a, a question of habit, in fact. It's just because um, before becoming game designer, 
I was an engineer in research and development in material sciences. And I was creating uh, new tungsten alloys. All experiments were very, very, very expensive. So that means that each time I had, I wanted to, to make some experiments, I had to convict my boss that we had to work on that field. And the laws and the physics of the physics are well known. So he pushed us to project all what we could project based on the laws and the physical, just to, to put the money only on things we had to check. And in fact, I learned to work this way for 18 years in the industry. And I'm just keeping this process for what I'm doing in game design. So it just, it's not connected to my brain capacity. It's just connected to something I've learned. Okay. So for me personally, I often have to, um, have to put it on, on super, super simple prototypes, just pr uh, writing it on, uh, on a, a, a piece of paper, sheet of paper also um, to visualize it. Yes, I, I, I understand completely because I'm working in co-design with uh, very different designers. And for example, someone like Ludovic Moublon, Uh, we made Cycladis, for example, together, or Mr. Jack. Uh, as soon as he has an idea, he needs to build something. And building this, uh, the, the prototype, this leads him to, to other ideas. So there is no wrong way, in fact. I think that each game designer has to find his own way, the way he's confident with. Yeah, that's uh, that's absolutely true. And it's uh, yeah, it's interesting to see, um, to see your way. Um, Which is quite different to my way because I often really I I, I need to to put it on paper to get uh, to get rid of the complexity of those many multiple interlocking systems. Um, and um, when I put it on paper, I can it's easier for me to um, to digest it in pieces. So I can look at one of the mechanics of the game or one part of the game. Um, without uh, having to really think about the other part, and that's. For me, it's easier if I can put it on paper and separate it into different buckets. Yeah, yeah I, I understand. Yeah. But but it's it's also a good way for sure. It's not mine. But uh, yes, and that's the reason why it's always interesting to work with someone else because each time you will learn something to from from the from the partner. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I have uh, the an example here is that I have uh, designed Mindbug with a with a co-designer with Christian, and we also have a totally different different approach. Um, he um, he's for example he um, likes to get start with a with a version of the game that's already quite defined, um, and then maybe he tries stuff uh, tries to add stuff uh, one at a time. Um, so, um, on my, I, I personally, I'm also someone who is willing to, to try to put a lot of different, um, ideas and mechanics into a game and s then see what works and what doesn't. So that's also a different, a different approach of how you start, uh, start a game. So what, what is your, what is your preference here? Are you more of a sculptor that tries to remove stuff after you have your first idea on the, on the board? Or are you more of a, um, an artist that tries to create it step by step? When I start on the prototype, like I said, I see exactly where I want to go and I try to get just what I need to go there, in fact, just not to wasting time to explore to, to wide uh, uh, different ways. Okay, so um, let's say you have your, your first idea in your head already um, quite defined. Um, what is the then you what is the next step you do um do you create a prototype or what what is what are you going to do yes the next step is to build the prototype and go to for for, for play testing so uh, i'm working with powerpoint <laughs> i'm doing all my prototypes with powerpoint <laughs> which is not the, the, the best tool of the world but uh, i'm very uh, um, it's, it's very easy to me and um I prefer to, to not to waste time, so I do things which are not well illustrated. Uh, I go directly to have the components I, I need just for playtesting. And then the main process is playtesting, playtesting, 
making correction, adjustment, uh, fine tuning, and, and go on on this way. But I'm always participating to all the playtesting sessions because I always want to compare my own feeling to the feedback I can have around the table. Just because when you are creating games and when you come with something which is not definitely finished, people around the table will always have to say something. Uh, just because sometimes it's very useful because um, um, there are some things which are not good enough and, and they have suggestions which can improve that, okay? But very often, creation is something that people would like to be part of and they just want to have a part of themselves into the game. So they make you proposals not because the, the, the way is not good, just because it could be a little different having a part of themselves inside. So all the feedbacks which will improve really the game, I take care of them. And all that could be different, I don't mind because I want to do my games and not the games of my playtesters. That's actually very good, very good advice. Um, and I, I found myself um, when I, I test quite a bit with with other game designers, and they specifically tend to come up with uh, with with proposals for new um, ideas, mechanics, or ways of uh, of solving um, something in the game that might not even be an issue. Um, and that really fits quite well into what you just um, what you just described. And you will see that later. It's the same with publishers. Sometimes publishers have good issues that can improve the games, but sometimes they just want it to make it different, but it's not mine. So in, in that situation, I prefer not to sign the contract. Yeah. So um, how do you distinguish between, let's say, good proposals and bad proposals? Um, is it just, um, from, from, from playtesters, is it uh, just that you listen to more to problems that they articulate instead of, let's say, ideas? In fact, I just, I just keep in mind and I, I, I take care of all which makes sense, in fact. Never mind if it's just a feeling or a final proposal, in fact. If it makes sense for me uh, where, and if it fits where, where I want to go, I take care of that. And if it leads to a different way, I, it's 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 not my I I just forget in fact. But many of my playtesters just give me feelings because they have not the competencies to to um, uh, to go into the into the engine of a game. Some of them are good enough for that. For example, my son, and probably one day he will become a game designer <laughs> himself. <laughs> Because his ideas are really good, so so yes. Okay, so how do you keep track of everything that goes on in the during a playtest? Is there do you um, do you just write down the ideas you think are worthy to keep note of, or do you also track other metrics like I don't know um, how often does the first player win, um, or how often does a certain tactic win the game or so um how do you how do you keep track of those um of those things that are probably more into the direction of um balancing the game later on it depends on the game in fact uh because all the games don't need the same uh, uh precision for for example uh, first player winning etc it really depends But mainly during the first steps of uh, evolution of the prototypes, I don't take notes. Uh, I correct the prototype uh, just after uh, each playtesting sessions. And uh, when I make a correction, this correction is quite definitive. So I don't keep track of what has been done before. I just keep the last file of the prototype and I go on this way. And at the end, when the game is very far from the final fine tuning, If it's needed, for sure, I will keep track of the results just to verify that uh, one strategy is not too um, too easy be, uh, compared with another one. Uh, I, I, I just 
I can check if the first player has an advantage or not. For example, for an abstract two-player games, it's very important. But for family games, it's not that important. You see what I mean? Yeah. Um, so it will really depend on the situation. But uh, the, the check of uh, the final tuning is only at the end of the prototype process when the game is quite finished. Okay, let's take one of your more complex games like Five Tribes for example as um, for that um, so how do you really assign values and points to different actions um, that can lead to victory and how and how much do these values change during the playtesting session is this just some small adjustments that you then make or is this uh, can this uh, be wide wide changes uh, Five Tribes is, uh, is a very uh, unique um story in fact um, in, winning your life as a game designer a pure game designer is very difficult if you don't have any hit it's not possible to get enough incomes uh, with that so that means that before these games before the story of uh, five tribes and abyss which were released at the same time uh, my incomes coming from royalties were not big enough to just live with only that. So that means that during that time, I was working as a developer for some game company. It was not known, it was not secret, but I was hired by some companies to make some developments. So that means that for years, I've been working on big games, but which were not mine, just to finish the development for the publisher. And... It took me time. It took me a lot of time. And during that time, I only time, had time enough for myself to create in small games, just as a recreation, in fact. And at one day, the, it, it, from years after year, from month, month after month, it's cre it created me a, a kind of frustration, not having time enough to work on my own game. And one day, at the end, it was close to Christmas, I had a, a small mechanical idea based on this Mancala mechanism you have in two five tribes. And I do the prototypes in one hour and I played it and I say, yes, I have one more time, one small game. And I thought that this idea was strong enough to make something bigger. And in fact, I make five tribes in, in two days, in, in one weekend, all five tribes. And That's we played, awesome. <laughs> and we play tested it the first time on the Monday, which was following. And it was still quite finished. It was not really well balanced because uh, the blue in were, were a little too strong. But, and then it has only been fine tuning. In fact, five tribes came suddenly uh, as a block and it was impossible to, to move something inside, in fact. It came like it is. So it's difficult for me to explain how to balance the things because uh, it has been quite balanced uh, immediately, in fact. And how long does uh, this process typically take, uh, the balancing process of those smaller aspects of the games? Is this something that is done for you three months, six months or so? No, no, or two, no, weeks? two weeks later, the game was finished and it was exactly like it is today. That is that is an awesome fast process, isn't it? Yeah, it's uh, but it's it's not uh, for my other games. It has not been like that. For example, a game for Cyclades, uh, we worked three years on it. A games like uh, Imaginarium, it was something like two years. So that means that for me, Five Tribes is an exception. So I had to speak about it because you were asking me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. When you have those many games um, in the making, and most of them, uh, yeah, take different time spans um, from your first sparking idea to um, talking to a publisher and playtesting it uh, before. So, um, so how does a typical day of Pruno Catala look like? With uh, how many games are really, um, um, yeah, involved in in each and every day? How many on how many different designs are you working in different states? So. Um, Just tell us how, how a typical day looks for you. <laughs> so, first thing is that uh, I'm beginning, I'm starting to work quite early each morning. I think, I think that I'm 
I'm facing my computer uh, before eight in the morning each day. Uh, and the first thing I'm, I'm making is uh, a kind of survey. <laughs> it's, a, it's something I learned also in my former job. Um, that means that you always have to, to, to see what are doing the, your, your, um, uh, so, sorry, I'm, I'm looking for, 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 for a word which is not coming in English, but you are, you have to know what the other people are doing into, in the world. So, first thing I have, I make the morning is to check internet to see, uh, the main, um, news uh, I can find about games, who is working with who, which are the games which are coming, sometimes reading rules, even if I'm not playing the games, etc., just to, to, to feed myself with the atmosphere of games into the world. Then I check my mails and I answer all the emergencies. So, and I have also each day some, some things to do in, in that way. And then, I'm working on some, on my own games. Okay. So it depends, um, what I have to do. Sometimes at the same time, I always have games which are at different stage of development. I have the sparkling ideas. I have the, 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 some prototypes to build. I also have games which will be published soon, but I need to work on the marketing and uh, communica communication process. And I also have games which just just been released, and I answer. I always answering questions, etc., and trying to uh, to to keep uh, the game uh, in the mind of uh, of the gamers, you know. So in each day, I will work on these different uh, aspects of sometimes five to ten games during a, a single day, zapping from one to another one. And also depending of the solicitation I have, because Skype will ring and uh, one of my uh, publisher has to have a conversation of a prototype or cetera, of one of my co-designer and et cetera, et cetera. So I always have to zap from one project to another project. Okay. And how do you make sure that the new ideas... Um also take get their get their place during during your day because oftentimes people um then focus on all the emergencies that come up during a day mm. um a publisher calling here uh, maybe um, some other emails popping popping up there so how do you make yourself um, available to 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 really work on on new ideas so new ideas like like i, I explained uh in fact for me just brain projection Okay, so that means that uh, when I want to to imagine something new, uh, very often I I don't stay at my desk. I take my bike and I go to ride in the mountains close to me. And during biking, I'm thinking of new ideas. Okay, that's uh, that's also a good ad advice. And I think you are living close to the Alps, right? So that must be a ni nice bicycling. Bicycling. The middle of the Alps. <laughs> awesome. Right. So um, you also mentioned that you start your day by um, um, browsing through the internet, um, learning more about um, what the other people are currently working on. Yeah. Um, so do you have some good resources that you check regularly for updates on the board game industry that you could share with our listeners? Uh, I'm. Each day I go on uh, BGG for sure. Uh, I also go on the French websites like uh, TrickTrack or uh, Ludovox. And uh, one of the survey I have is um, it's a website which aggregates uh, a, a, lo a lot of different uh, websites just to have uh, the, the, the main news. And then I click on what matters to me, in fact. Okay. But, but it's only in French. So, uh, so it's difficult. I can give a link if you want. Yeah, you can share the link. I will post it into the uh, to the show notes okay. that uh, might be uh, relevant for at least the uh, a small part of the, the audience who is uh, French speaking. And, and, and sure that I, I'm taking a lot of time on, on the social uh, medias like Facebook or Twitter. Um, okay. So let's say 
you have created your um, your prototype. You have you have play tested it. Um, how do you actually um, know that a game is finished? At what point in time do you say, okay, that have been enough iterations? Mm -hmm. um, I I now will go to propose this game to a publisher. It's just a question of feeling. That means, for to me, uh, during the development and the, the playtesting sessions, uh, at the starting of this process and for 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 uh, for a while, when I'm playing, I'm just um, I'm not playing as a gamer. I'm playing and checking a lot of things, imaginating if it, this could be different, etc., etc. So, and at one time. I understand that now I'm not, uh, I'm just becoming a gamer. You, you see what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yes. And when I, I feel that I'm just playing to win the game and without focusing and imagining things being different, at this time, for me, the game is good enough, is solid enough to be presented to, uh, to publishers. So I'm waiting until I'm just becoming a gamer. That's interesting because I can really, I I really have this feeling for uh, for our game at the moment. So mm. that's a that's a good sign. Yeah. Um, <laughs> thanks for sharing that. Um, so you 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 have been working with quite a bunch of different publishers. Um, yeah. Could could you briefly describe the process of finding um, a publisher that works for a specific game or let's say the things that you're looking for in a publisher the first thing i have to say because we don't uh, spoke about that is for me that when the the playtesting session are finished my job before going to a publisher is not finished because i'm now i have to write the rules mm -hmm. because i i'm on my process which is different for other um, game designers. I'm writing the rules only when all is finished because I don't want to write them twice. <laughs> so I, and this takes a lot of time because writing the correct rules with the examples you need, etc., etc., uh, is a real job. And in my opinion, game designers have really to take care of that because main, in the main situation, the game will be tested by a publisher without you. That means that the rules has to be the easiest to read as possible and the clearest as possible. And I think that sometimes very good designers uh, don't manage to find a publisher just because the rules is not well written enough. So... When the rules is written, then my question is always to which publisher I have to present my game. So, and this will depend for the games. Something which is really important to me is the, the artistical direction of the publisher. Because for me, the look of the games, the art which is inside is something which matters a lot to me. So if the publisher As, as an artistical line, which I don't say it's bad, because I will never say it's bad, which I don't like, just I don't like, I don't present my game. Mm -hmm. And then I make the first choice. That means that very often I present my game to two, three, or four publishers different at the same time, not to waste too much time. Because you know the process uh, for the for the publisher is quite long, and if you give the game to only one publisher and you wait for this answer, sometimes three months, which is not that long for a publisher, but very often six months or, or more, and then when you say no, you go to another one, etc., etc., you waste too many times. So my advice would be to target two or three of the publishers you absolutely want to, to work with for this game and then look what uh, what happens. And if they all say no, then you go to a, uh, your second choice, etc., etc. Okay. And um, let's say I have read a, um, recently read another interview with you where you also mentioned that um, 
part of your job is also taking charge of the marketing of your own games so i would and you also mentioned it um today so i would like to dive a little bit deeper into that so um because in the mind of many game designers um it is like you hand over your game to the publisher and then that's all of their task uh, to yeah to create the um the let's say the, the artworks illustrations for the game the graphical design maybe the theme the texts um and also the the, the marketing part of the game so yeah. could you talk a little bit more about why you think marketing is also your job as a game designer and how this probably changed in the last couple of years or so creating games it's not my job it's my life it's each of my games it's not a product it's a part of myself And uh, I want to be proud of the, of, uh, of the final uh, of the published game. So I want to be 100% um, how to say in harmony with what has been done. So that's the reason why I try to be involved as far as possible on, the, on all the aspects of the games of the game. And then I want to share it the, the most as possible. Not For a money question, but just because I want to, sh I want to 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 share it with people, and we make board games in in French. We we, sh we say jeu de société. That means that we are you are playing with other people, and this community and this whole social network creating by games matters to me. So being the first to 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 propose it to the, to to the community to to stay. Connected with them, with with the gamers, to to exchange, to uh, to answer questions, to um, to carry my 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 game the, the the best as possible. For me, it's important, and I consider that it's part of 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 my job. But I completely understand that other game designers don't do that. Don't do that. It just because it matters to me, in fact. And I can absolutely understand that. So it's a, it's like a kind of baby that you create over several months or years. So you want also see how it grows. Exactly. <laughs> and I, I always want to try to give my games the best chance as possible. Sometimes I'm happy, sometimes not. But I always try to, 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 to do that, in fact. And probably... Probably that uh, it's also uh, one of the reasons why today uh, some publishers will look my games differently because they know that I will carry that job and probably it has an impact on the sales. Okay. So how much are you then actually involved in the different step that the publisher typically takes over so do you look at each and every illustration that comes in do you give you do you give feedback on the illustrations um or how how much are you involved in the let's say in the art aspect of the games it will depend of, of the games and of the publisher but i really like when we are working together as a team with a publisher which is the case for example for uh, for a game like uh, Trek 12 which has been published in France uh, end of last last year and when you have this connection with a publisher and all the decisions are taken together i really like to work that way it's not an obligation i can work another way with some of our publishers but but for me it's always uh, easier to be involved in all the decisions concerning the components, concerning the artworks. So I just want to give my feeling. The, the publisher has the final code for sure. But if I'm involved all along the game process, the, being able to verify that all the informations you need to take decisions uh, when you have the components in front of me are, are readable enough, uh, if the artwork fits Uh, with with my own taste, etc., etc. For sure, for me, it's much more easy to carry the game at the end when it's published and and to 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 want to share it with all the game community. Yeah, I really like that approach as well. Um, just just a, a question out of curiosity. So, do you make that involvement of yourself? Um, do you put that into the contract with the publisher, or is this just something that? Um, Yeah, that is not written down on paper, but happens anyway. 
No, it happens anyway, and it's a, it's not written in, into the contract, and it doesn't give me more royalties. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately not, right? Okay, so um, I also got a few listener questions, and many of them um, went go into the direction of expansions. Yeah. So people really like your expansions because they often make the game feel like almost new again so the question really was how do you approach the design of an expansion specifically for your games to make sure that it feels like something new and exciting first i have to say that i'm very happy to hear that because it's exactly what i want what i try to do uh you have to know that i'm never working on an expansion because uh, of a marketing point of view we need to refresh something etc etc no i'm work in fact when a game one of my game is released is re after the release of each of my game sorry i'm always playing it again and again and again and my my way is quite selfish I'm always designing the games I want to play myself. I am my first customer. And playing a game again, one of my games again and again, at one stage, I want to refresh my own feeling with my own game. And at this time, when this comes, I want, I need to, to make an expansion. And I'm working on expansion only at that time. And yes, I want something new for me. And I always try to, to, to give a new approach of a game, but trying not to complexify it too much. And this is, this is my way, and it seems that, that it works not so bad. Yeah, absolutely. So one more question is about um, collaborative projects because yeah. you always work um, you not always work with a co-designer but often um, and with many different so um, I would personally be interested in how actually the um, the collaborative uh, work looked like for Seven Wonders Duel because I'm really impressed with the game and the um, the kind of two-player drafting um, mechanic that you came up with so um, how was the involvement with Antoine and how did you work together I, I just heard that you are in a in a game design um, let's say, group that uh, meet regularly. So I would like to learn a little bit more about um, the collaborative um, aspect of that. So for Seven Wonders Duel, it, it was, in fact, it was quite easy because um, the, we were flying to Jenkin with Antoine and during the flight, he said, he offered me to, to work with him on that project, which is a gift for, for, for a game designer. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And because Antoine wanted to, to do a, a specific two-player games based on Seven Wonders, but uh, he was not really experimented in two-player games, and uh, he tried by himself, and he didn't succeed. What the job he made didn't satisfy it enough. So he asked me to join him and to Because I am something specific with two-player games, uh, I made I built a lot of them, and it's a, a way to play I really like. And immediately during the flight, uh, we we began to brainstorm, and in fact, we had to keep uh, the flavor of Seven Wonders for sure. So a lot of things had to stay the same way. We had to keep, to keep the, the, the different colors, the blue, the yellow, etc., etc., the resources, etc. So these had to be exactly the same. But some things couldn't work the same way. For example, for the military aspect, uh, when you are playing at two players, you don't have a right neighbor and a left neighbor. It's the same, same people. So we had to find something different. And immediately, which came in mind was that kind of a track Uh, moving from one from one player to the other one, it, it was quite logical, in fact. And something coming from me was that uh, I like, I really love Seven Wonders, but I don't really like the way the green cards score points. Not because it's not balanced, it's very good, but it's always too complicated to, to, to explain to, to new players. And when you have only occasional players, 
you will explain again and again and again <laughs> if we if you play only uh, each time each two months for example so i wanted i proposed to do something which would be more easier to understand and we transform the green cards into uh this um uh, immediately victory like it was on the on the red for for the military and this gave this gave the this two player game a specific flavor because you have three different ways to win and i like in the two player games when you can have many ways to go to the victory and then all the main ideas were discussed during the flight uh and at the end it was quite clear how to build the prototype and then it has been a long process but it has only been a long process for fine tuning all the ideas we we had in the plate were very 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 close to the final uh, game very cool and do you prefer working with a co-designer in general or do you sometimes also prefer to to to, to work alone on your project frankly speaking i like both but in fact, it also comes from my former job. When you are working as an engineer in research and development, you have your own studies, but you are never working alone. You need to be connected to other specialists, etc. And it's a way of working I'm, I'm confident with and I like. And before working, I, I am sorry, I began to work on my first prototype quite old. I was uh, quite 40, okay? That means that, and I, I promised myself to, to work on a game when I was 20. That means that during 20 years, I didn't build any games, but I was thinking about game design. And if you make a comparison with writers, for example, uh, you will see that a writer writes the same book all his life. It's not the same story, but the team which are inside the books, what he wants to say comes again and again and again. And I was quite sure that for a game designer, it could be the same. And when I tried to, to work on my first prototype, my target was not to do one game. It was to create games. And I was quite sure that is why I wanted to refresh my mind. The best way was to alternate solo design and co-design. That's the reason why immediately as, as soon as possible, I began to alternate that co-design and solo design. Sometimes I need to stay alone and very often it's better for me to be with someone else. Just because creating means for me doubting. And adopting with someone else is much more comfortable than adopting alone. And the other thing is that when you are working with someone else, you will explore ways you will never have been if you stay alone. And it's a very good way to refresh your mind. And today, it's much more important to me because, you know, <laughs> like every everyone, I'm getting older and older. And which is very nice, it's that young designers are coming to me. And it's very nice to have that mix with a very young designer and the old man I'm today. <laughs> and it's, it's a good way to, to, to do something which are still connected to the, to, to the air, to the, to, to, to the time we are living in. Yeah, that sounds, uh, sounds very good. And I can totally follow your, um, your explanation there. So um, I will also res will respect your time. Um, we are approaching the one hour mark. Um, but I would like to ask you one more question um, with regard to the board game industry. Mm -hmm. So many of our listeners are aspiring game designers and they, they want to get into the industry um, and <laughs> maybe sometime in the future also make a living in the industry. So um, how would you, what would be your, your kind of advice for aspiring game designers that want to get a little, a little footprint in the industry? How, how, what is the best way nowadays to, to get into the industry? It will be probably different than, than it was 20 years ago or so, but, um, how did the industry change? How would you say is a good, a good way of entry for new designers nowadays? It's difficult to say, but, um, 
Yes, for sure things are changing, but uh, it's always a, uh, a question of a sorry of a relationship. And if you do what you believe in uh, with your sincerity and 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 taking all what and you have to follow your own way. In fact, not taking too too much consideration of a market of of how it change, etc. Do what you believe in. Uh, one, being 100% uh, uh, honest with what you want to go. And it's my vision of a game designer. It's someone which creates a path and tries to, to uh, bring the others on this path. So I don't think that there is a, a good way or a wrong way to, to, to connect uh, with, a design, with uh, the publishers, but uh, do what you believe in, definitively. Okay. So um, I have to say thank you. And I want to do it not only from myself, but I would also like to take a minute to thank you in the name of the entire community for, yeah, for your ongoing efforts. Um, you yeah. not only create awesome games, um, you also spend time with uh, content producers like myself um, to share your knowledge and help aspiring game designers to, um, yeah, To, to make their first steps in the industry as well. But really, frankly speaking, I think it's normal to do that. No, Just I, I don't my, think so. I don't yeah, think yes, so. My, my vision of, uh, of gaming community is that we are, we are kind of a family. We, we never met, but it's kind we, we belong to the, to the same family. And that's the reason why I just want to finish on saying that uh, if some people have questions and want to write me, they can. I'm always answering. Uh, it can take some time because uh, <laughs> I'm really busy, but I'm always answering. And you see, that is the difference of the board game industry to other industries. Um, I mentioned that quite often here on the podcast, but um, it really is some kind of family. And I have never experienced that in, um, in another industry. Yeah? Yeah. So that is, that is really special. Um, yeah. From my side, I have to say thank you and I wish you all the best for the election of um, the um, the kids' game of the year. Um, it, it, I, it would I, be fantastic, but uh, I, I, I'm not expecting too much. <laughs> yeah, I just ordered uh, Tregomino for the fifth birthday of my son, uh -huh. which is in a, in a month or so. So um, looking forward to... Um, to play the game and yeah i wish you wish you all the best for the for the future bruno and thank you very much for being a guest on the nerd lab thank you very much goodbye <laughs> <laughs>